life can be tricky, making us ask, what was that? Join host Jan Murray and her guests as they explore the that's of life. Welcome to Life After That. everyone and welcome back to another episode of life after that we welcome back Kristen wells from indiana she has shared in the previous episode about her mother mary joe hunsberger who passed away in 2021 at 81 and a half years old with als and she shared such an inspirational story i encourage you to go back and listen to that episode in this one Kristen's going to talk about the after effects you know, first of all, how she honored her mother uh, and then kind of the things that she dealt with after her mother's passing and uh, what it's like to live after ALS. So, Kristen, welcome back to life after that. Hi. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. So tell us, uh, tell us just very briefly about the final couple of days leading into that and, you know, how you remembered your mom and there's a picture up. Uh, of yeah. your mom and uh, just tell us a little bit about that and then what you had to go through after her passing. Sure. Yeah. You know, I feel like um, the honoring part of it happened even before she passed away because you just want to, you want to be able to be there for them in those last moments um, and just give them that dignity and give them that reassurance and that comfort. And um I just, I met a lot of people who said, I just couldn't do what you did, but you know, I was, I promised her that I would not let her be there alone because she lived, you know, she lived in her house by herself. So I moved in full time with her. Um, she died in February of 21. So I was full time with her starting in September of 2020. So we went through the last holidays together and, you know, just giving her everything she wanted, decorating her house and, um, I asked all of her friends and family that I could kind of get in touch with from her, uh, email accounts and stuff to, if they could make a video and send it to me and my boys, uh, assembled her Christmas present that year was a kind of a final, you know, we love you, Mary Jo video that Christmas. And I, I think we all sat at the TV for probably 45 minutes watching that just with everybody who participated so I, I feel like the honoring started, you know, way before the actual passing. But I, um, so when I moved in in September, I started sleeping right next to her in her bedroom in October when she finally, you know, acquiesced to the hospital bed and realized that she was probably going to need to be in that and be more comfortable. Um, luckily, she had a huge house. She had a huge bedroom. So I could be in her king size bed and we could just push up the hospital bed right next to it. And, you know, I was just kind of, so I was the nighttime person, early morning person until the caregivers came. Um, her primary caregiver was the same gal. She's much younger. She was actually um, a little bit older than my oldest son, a couple of years older than my oldest son. So I really felt like I had kind of like this quasi daughter, little sister, and she was with my mom from the very beginning when she first hired caregivers to come. She was the first person to start with her. And she was with her, um, with me the moment that she passed away and took her last breath. That's she awesome. was the one who, she was the one who, you know, was counting breaths and helping, helping me. So I could just kind of lay there next to her and be with her. Um, 
we had other family around my brother and his wife and kids were in the house. They didn't necessarily feel comfortable being in the room. Um, but you know, you go through all of that process of what, when, when's it going to happen? What's it going to be like, you know, am I going to be asleep? Will I even know it? And so you kind of juggle and and wrestle with all of that. How do you want it to be? How do you want it to look? And quite honestly, in the end, God does it when, (laughs) when he knows it needs to happen for that particular group of people at the time. So my mom got through, um, her last night and passed away in the middle of the afternoon. So it wasn't even in the middle of the night. So we were all awake in there and, um, her sister was able to come with her husband and kind of be there. Her brother lived uh, in Milwaukee. So that was a, about an hour and a half away. And they had visited a lot over the times that I was there. So they didn't necessarily feel the need to actually be there at the t- at the moment. But, but her best friends were in and out. And um, like I said, I feel like that started the honoring process. And so I, you know, we all helped get her catheter pulled and, you know, get her changed and kind of clean her up one last time. I had a special gown picked out to have her go to the uh, funeral home in. She wanted to be cremated. So we knew that that was the process and she had picked out her own urn and all that kind of stuff was done. She was so so together. I'm telling you, she was, she was together. (laughs) We did it together, but she really helped me. So I didn't have to do it all by myself. And so I knew it was what she wanted, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the only thing she kind of really left up to us was kind of planning the actual service itself and how we wanted that to look. And who knew that COVID was going to hit, we were going to have to postpone. Oh yeah, you know, it did around gatherings. that time. Yeah. Yeah. So her church was still not meeting in person yet. Um, in 2021 when actually we, she passed away in February. Um, I knew that it was, I was going to take advantage of the time because it was COVID that we couldn't do a service right away. Anyway, I knew that I always needed a little bit more time to kind of think through that process and the rest of the family and friends were fine with that too. So we actually did not have her service until June. Okay. We, we waited several months and the weather was better. And you know, that particular winter in Chicago that year, we were just having all kinds of snow I mean, we probably had almost four feet on the ground by the time wow. the end of February came, um, you know, between the, the different snowfalls and different times. And so my brother was able to stay at the house with us kind of the last almost two weeks just because I needed someone to shovel and make sure the driver was cleared <laughs> for the caregivers to arrive. I, said, I can tell uh, you I in can... South Alabama, we don't know what you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> no, I know. Um, you might occasionally get ice, which actually we get is worse. snow, but it's usually four or five inches every yeah. four to 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And it usually melts pretty quickly. Yes, so, it does. Um, so yeah, I just needed, because I, I didn't have to Brett, knowing that I had somebody coming to the house every day to be there with me and work mm-hmm. through all that. My nerves were probably a little bit more on than in, you know, at night in the middle of the nights and stuff trying to figure out, but you know, she, um, we used a spelling chart. Uh, she never really did like the eye gaze. Uh, we did a spelling a, chart too. My know, husband's she, eyes wouldn't use the eye gaze. Yeah. My mom had glasses and so she couldn't do the eye gaze anyway. It wouldn't even um, kind of focus in on her eyeballs. And so we were using a head mouse instead mm-hmm. with a little dot, you know, on her glasses or whatever. But um, even 
even as weak as she, as her muscles got, she was always this sort of a little bit of an impatient person. She just wanted to be able to get through things quickly. And so she'd move her head too fast. And so the mouse would just fly all over the screen. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and it, it, she couldn't get it to land on letters or word phrases long enough. Too and frustrating to frustrated. use. Yeah. So we just said, don't worry about it. We'll just, so I made a spelling chart and I printed it all up and put it in a, you know, page protector and she would kind of, you know, look over towards it when she wanted us to grab it and we would go through. Well, she was spelling things to us, you know, even up till hours before she passed away. Okay. But of course, by then we're using the morphine and the the, the Ativan, the lorazepam. And so it's hard to focus when you when working yes. with his body. <laughs> yeah. She was awake um, even. That blows my mind. She was awake. Um, yeah. She, she was just like when we talk about at least in the Christian world, you know, in our faith, we talk about our bodies being as a temple to the, to the Holy Spirit, to the mm -hmm. Lord. You can see God's intention for us to have been eternal creatures when the physical body wants to keep lasting. And she just kind of kept, I mean, I just, it just took a while for her right. to kind of, you know, for her body just to kind of shut down. Um, but honestly, it was, I was prepared for it. She helped prepare me for it. Our faith helped us prepare for it. So I wasn't really a wreck or a mess through any of that at all. It was the after part. <laughs> and I know, I've been through other family members who've passed away. We've been beside a couple now, you know, that mm -hmm. in, in home hospice where we were right there with them. Um, that part didn't bother me at all to me that was the peaceful thing it was a rejoiceful thing I knew she was now in heaven with the Lord and you know she had her eternal final thing you know and it, she's just being rejuvenated that's my faith tells me that and that brings me a lot of peace um, but it was it was thinking through okay now we have this huge house we have to get ready to sell and it needed, you know, some work. We needed to repair some walls that she had banged into with her wheelchair and probably needed to paint it all and everything. That all actually went smooth. It's just that I had 81 years worth of stuff to sort through. And she had done some clean out um, nine, almost 19 years prior when her when my stepfather passed away. But there were several things that still needed to kind of be sorted out, even with his daughter too. So I just kind of had all of that ahead of me. And so... I use that time as my um, honoring, rejoicing, crying, saying goodbye, finding things that she had kept in drawers that I'm certain she knew one day I would find. And so she left them there on purpose. <laughs> and, you know, letters and mementos and, you know, things even from my grandparents who have been, you know, passed away for many years now. And so and even things from when she and my dad were, you know, in their early years of marriage. Um, so that was all a huge healing thing for me. And I'm really, really grateful that I got to go through that process. I would have liked to have been able to do it a, li a little slower, but, um, you know, it made sense. It, it was right when the crazy real estate market was hitting at its <laughs> peak. And so we were all like, yeah, we should probably get this house on the market as soon as possible. Um, just because, you know, we can get as much for it as, as we could. And that's and what like, she would want. Knowing I, what, knowing what I know about your mom now. Absolutely. She would tell she, you, get this thing sold right like, now. <laughs> she would, she would spell in the spelling chart. Do not give any of my money to your father. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my goodness gracious. So she was all about making sure my brother and I were taken care of. And I'm like, I will promise it's not going to happen. You know, like I'm not going to bail him out of something with your money, mom, but I can't promise what my brother's going to do. So, well, if she's watching, so, if she gets to see a little bit yeah. from heaven right now, she is loving this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that, but it still took us about five months, you know, from, from February, we had it sold for sure in July. Um, and so I, I actually, the last time I left the, her house for good, good, good was the, the day before my birthday in July. And she, she and I had birthdays four days apart from each other. So oh, wow, it was our birthday week. <laughs> that was the last time the, the last time I left the house to, to go back home. Um, so I was able to go back and forth a little bit, um, after she passed away, my husband did though, come and stay and live with me, um, brought our dog and, you know, we, he could work because he works from home right now and with the job that he has now. So we just kind of camped out there. I, you know, packed up, cleaned out. We threw a lot away. My brother would come over and help us clear the heavy stuff out, set a lot of stuff out for trash, Goodwill, sorted through the things that needed to go back to my stepsister eventually. And um, yeah, by by late July, we were, we were all done with all, with all of that. So coming home to my house, I, I felt like a nomad. <laughs> I felt you like you had I been had, away for a while. <laughs> I did. And I had, I had moved a lot of stuff to her house. So I didn't have to pack lots of bags. You know, I had clothes hanging in closets and I took over a couple of dresser drawers and, you know, I had my room there and my bathroom there and stuff. So my husband had always said at some point someday, because his parents are still alive and they're, you know, they're in their eighties, early eighties, they're, they're, still very healthy and doing great but they also live in Illinois about three hours from us but they are not set up the way my mom was and so I said I do not want them to end up in a nursing home um they he lost his he and he just it was just him and his sister and he lost his sister about six and a half years ago from breast cancer but they had seven children and all of them are grown with their big families. They're farmers. And so, and even our brother-in-law has remarried since then, which is great. So they, his folks live very close to all of them still, and they are all still super involved with each other's lives, which is just such a blessing. Yeah. Um, But we don't want that burden someday to fall on all of the grandkids and the great grandkids. And so we said, well, why don't we, we always, we, homeschooled our boys and grew up in this really tiny starter home. It was always going to be our starter home. <laughs> 28 years later, we're, we're still, still there. <laughs> yeah, there. Um, and so I said, why don't we look for a little bit bigger place where we can set up a room if we need to someday to be able to do caregiving for his, you know, either both or one of his parents and mm-hmm. let them start to kind of come over and, and kind of get more comfortable we couldn't host a lot in the, in our littler house and have, you know, the family gatherings and stuff. So we always traveled and, and did our holidays and stuff with the family uh, on the road. Um, so we just, we lucked out and we found kind of a place that is probably way too big for us at this point in our lives, but it will be able to do that if need be. And so that's a blessing. Yeah. And it's only because my mom was so she had everything so put together and we were able to sell her home that we could put the money towards doing that. That's the only reason why that worked. 
Um, but we still haven't even cleaned out our other house yet completely and gotten it on the market. It's just like, I just couldn't do it all so fast. No, that's a lot of work and it's, it's a, a lot, lot emotionally too. Absolutely. Every single time I do another step towards, you know, cleaning out or sorting through another box or even now decorating Christmas and I've got all of her old stuff. It's just, it's always another emotional, you know, moment. And um, so my husband has graciously put up with it <laughs> and said, okay, you know, uh, so we've got to get that. We've got to get our other smaller house listed on the market this coming spring. It'll, it'll be over a year. So Hopefully by then we can kind of have it ready too. But it's honestly the same process. It's just you're going through your stuff instead of your your his, you know family history stuff and your children's stuff because you raised your kids there, right? Absolutely. It was you know not only home but it was school. It was everything. You know. So um, yeah, I still have all my old curriculum books and stuff. I just haven't sorted through all of that stuff. So I still have a lot of work to do. And for me, that kind of stuff is very therapeutic. That's kind of where you know. I can spend my time thinking and reminiscing and going through in my own heart. The, the and taking process. your time to do that. And that's exactly a, that's so exactly. important too, that you're yeah. doing it yeah. and you're, you're able to do it in your time. And I think that's super. It's important. a total blessing. I do recognize that. And, and that was part of, you know, I had to get over the guilt too of, do we really need to do this? It seems extravagant to have this, you know, huge home on all these acres of land and, you know, so part of it is, you know, Lord, show us where you need us to serve you again in the next phase of our lives. And that's really what I'm all about is there's a purpose for all of this and there's a plan. He blessed me with being able to, you know, be with my mom until the end. My dad, my biological father's still alive, even though he's not been the greatest at keeping in touch over the years. He, in recent years, he's kind of I think seeing that maybe he wants to and should probably be doing that more. So he's making a little bit more of an effort, but he's also getting older. And so he's needed some medical attention. And my brother has driven up to Michigan to help him with some things too. So we're kind of in that phase of, of life where, you know, what can we do with the next 30 years that hopefully we have left of our lives? If God gives us that many, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a, praying through what to do with the blessings and, and knowing that honestly, as much as you miss, as much as you miss your loved ones, those, those, that last, however many months or weeks, or I don't know how long it lasts. It's different lengths of time for different people, but those last days with a person with ALS are hard. It's, yep. it's the hardest and you're so relieved you're so relieved when it's over. You miss them like crazy. Yeah. That relief. You almost feel guilty for feeling relieved. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Cause you're, you know, you're just like, uh, I'm alive still, you know, why them and not me? Well, you know, you can't beat yourself up about all that. That's it's just, it's the way God planned it. And he still has things that we're supposed to do. And so that's what I'm all about now is just looking for that. The next thing, you know, being available, I think is my, I just keep hearing that message in my head over and over again of just keep yourself available because people out there need you. Mm -hmm. And honestly, after everything that we all went through with COVID and having to be isolated for so long, we just feel like we need to be about getting back together and building relationships and making things be very purposeful, you know, because life is too short and, and 
with all the craziness, all the other craziness that's going on in the world, have we not learned that it's all about how people work together and love each other? That's what makes the world, you know, a better place. That we all matter, you know, we all matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's terrible what we see going on. And, you know, I feel the same way too. I mean, I don't have uh, the same blessings, but I have other blessings. I mean, financially, I don't have that, but yeah. My thing is it took me a while to get where I could do this podcast. Um, and right. I didn't start the podcast in the beginning to focus on ALS, but that is where I was led. So I thought, okay, there's a need for this. So I put yeah. those little feelers out there and, and I got yeah. a huge response and I thought, okay, so people need to share still about their family members. They need this outlet. And this is another way to spread awareness. This is another way to give support to someone who needs to hear that they're right. not alone. And right. so that's my reasoning for doing this is to just like when I wrote the book out of my blog all those years ago, bring awareness, recognize yeah. my pal, my person with ALS. Yeah, your husband. Yeah. And um also to just let others know, hey, you're not alone. We're out here. Yeah. Uh reach out. We might can help you feel better or hold your hand or listen to you or take a Zoom call or you know, anything. And that's what you can, you can hook up with other uh, caregivers who have been through it. So you're not alone. And what I hear from you is you're finding your own way to get through it all. And you've continued going and you now realize you're, you need to be available. Right. Um, And I'm kind of like that too. And I see the other people that I've talked to so far that will come up in later episodes and some of before this, um, it seems like we're all landing in that same place that we want to help someone else going through what we've been through or something similar and to make something good out of something that was very bad. That's right. Absolutely. You know, the, the beauty out of the ashes, so to speak. Yeah. Um, And as long as we're left on earth here, clearly we have something we're supposed to be doing and the, you know, going through what we went through, it's it was just, a big that. <laughs> what <a>, was it? <laughs> it was a big, especially for people like you, you know, you talked about 10 years of, of, of time when some of your family members that had ALS on your husband's side, you live with that for a long time. It, it consumes how you go about and plan your days. I every mean, there's just single moment. Every second right. is consumed by that disease and it changes everybody. Yep. It doesn't yep. just change the victim. You're all yep. victims. And that's right. I yeah. believe that most of us, especially if we were doing full-time caregiving, even for a short time, I believe yeah. most of us come out with a little bit of post-traumatic stress yeah. disorder. Yeah. I know I still react weirdly to certain sounds or sights or even sure. smells. Sure. Uh, I still can't unpack. I still cannot unpack Rubbermaid containers that have my husband's hats <laughs> and shirts to this day. I still can't because yeah. I had planned to make shirts or quilts out of those sure. things for my I still smell him and it yeah. puts me in a very dark place. So I've yeah. chosen to leave them in those. And if I never get them out, that's okay. I finally yeah. accepted. It. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Maybe your daughter will someday. You know, you know, she you is hardcore. She was close to her daddy and I don't foresee yeah. that ever happening either. Okay. So, yeah. but so if that never happens, it just never happens. And I've learned sure. to accept what is, is, yes. is. And yes. so just take a different route, but don't get stuck there. That's what I try to tell others. Don't get stuck in the morning in the grief. Right. It, it, and it's, that can be hard for some people. I, I get that. And I, I mean, I have some dear friends that just, 
you know, what one I'm thinking of specifically who, you know, she lost her mom four years ago, but it's still, it, it happened at a time in her life when kids were growing up and getting married and moving out of the house. She had to do the same thing I did. Only the house that she cl- cleaned out was her childhood home. Yeah. You know, mine was the home my mom moved into after I was um, an adult. So, um, but still, you know, when you are, when you value family and you value those relationships, it never, I don't think it's really ever going to not hurt. It's always going to hurt. Always going to hurt. It's, it's learning how to help each other through the hurt so that we can still be functional and, and contribute to the world in some way right. while we're still here, you know, right. and people that really struggle with depression, um, how can we be helpful to get them the help that they need to? I mean, it's really, I guess I, I've got a, I've always had kind of a keen eye about who people are and what makes them tick. I was a psychology major. So that's just part of who I am. My mom's <laughs> mom was a sociologist, you know, my, her dad was a sociologist. Her mom was a psychologist. Like okay. it's just in my blood, but um, you know, you, when you really have a, have people that you love so much and you just, it's hard. It's just hard to say goodbye and, and let them go. So this is, is a way to keep them alive in your heart. Um, they're always, there's always going to be remnants and there's always going to be that legacy that, that is left in our lives. And, um, you know, if, if you really truly are struggling with some sort of chemical form of depression, then we need to help people get that, you know, whatever they need to get that under control as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, so, and, you know, and, and you've been in the groups on Facebook on the private groups too. So yeah, what I've yeah. seen, you know, I feel my husband was just a great guy. I mean, he yeah. was a, he was a good husband. Yeah. He never had the frontal temporal lobe dementia. Oh, get. Neither. And I, yeah. I read some of the accounts of some of these cows in there who are basically being abused by the person right. that they love. Right. And, I know that I can't imagine, honestly, right. how hard that must be. And I'm so thankful that we didn't, we, in the middle of the monster, we still had the blessing that he didn't get Correct. frontal temporal lobe dementia. Yeah. I feel um, that blessing too. Yeah. I, yeah. So I don't know that I can relate to that other than well, just being there for mind. them to talk and to support where we can. Sure you know, and, and let you know them... what it's like with your mom, not recognize you. Yeah. That's you know, so now. hard. Of course she, yeah. she's gotten a little, as we say, spicy. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, and my sister and I will look at each other and we'll just laugh or shake her. Okay, mom, we won't do that. You know, we, yeah. we, we try to laugh at all. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something I think I talked about that in one of my episodes was that my, um, Every, every day was terrible. It was a challenge. It really was. It was just nothing yeah. good about it, but we yeah. tried really hard to laugh at least yes. every day. And, and even if it meant that he had crapped all over himself, his right. bed and me. And I know that's maybe a little TMI, but that is reality of the ALS world. Oh my goodness. And, we, I had and, a and whole wheelchair him, to clean one day. Yeah. And I've got him yeah. strapped up in the Hoyer lift. Above yep. his bed where I'm changing yep. the sheets from what just happened and yep. then it happens again. Right. While he's hovering out. Yep. And he bursts out laughing <laughs> because it's all over his loving wife. And I'm like, what did you do? And then I look at his face. I burst out laughing. 
And then on my top love of is that, explosive to you, honey. Yes, but then he starts choking, <laughs> oh, hanging gosh. above the hospital bed in his four-year lip, crapping me, and yes. he's choking. And I'm <laughs> I'm trying to clear the choke with poop all over me. I mean, right. people are probably like, "Oh, of course," but right. hey, this was a this was reality. That's right. That's exactly right. And you can either get mad and cry, or you yep. can just like, you know, this. If this wasn't so horrible, I mean, you know, it, so we just laugh. We just yes. learn to laugh about literally everything because if we didn't, guess what we would do? We would cry yeah. all yeah. the time. And yeah. we refused to do that. Now yeah. I cried on my own away from him. Right. And That's what I, I did. Too. I caught him doing that away from me. Yeah. But when we were in the same room and awake at the same time. Yeah. We, my know, mom was the same way. Yeah. And she'd get to, I don't know, did your husband, when she'd get to laughing, especially when they, their, their breath was, you know, so short. I, I was like, don't make her laugh too hard because she just couldn't breathe. You know, she yeah. We watched so, a, a episode of Duck Dynasty back when it was <laughs> brand new. I mean, it was like maybe the first time everybody had told us to watch it. Uh-huh. So, and we actually got to meet them at some point. So we watched uh-huh. an episode and it's in my book and I wrote a blog post about it. We loved it so much, but he laughed so hard that he yes. choked really, yes. really bad. I nearly had to call 911. Yes. And my blog post was, I guess we can't even laugh anymore. I was right. mad. I'm like, yes. what? We can't even laugh? So right. <laughs> now, and my mom would get the giggles and yeah, and my husband it, laughed all the time. There was a turn, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the um, pals get, I don't, I can't remember what it's called, but you know, when their emotions get so, um, uh, yeah, off, I, and they'll yeah. either cry really easily or laugh really easily. Yeah. And it's part of the change in the brain in yeah. their emotional center. But um, my mom experienced that too. She goes, I never used to laugh this hard and I didn't always used to cry so easily either and I'm like I know yeah but some do get that I really think you had little bits of that but okay. um and I would go why are you crying he just shrug his shoulders you know, like, I, I don't know, know. <laughs> yeah I know my mom I, that's some kind of bulbar effect I forget the correct it was term it was for a it. pseudo something pseudo yeah. bulbar effect that's it pseudo, yeah okay pseudo, pseudo bulbar mm-hmm. yeah yeah so um we had a little bit of that too and and I but again we didn't want to be afraid of laughing so I just would stand close by <laughs> we just kept laughing too we laughed we together would, I mean then, you know I mean, I've, there's a few times out. after the whole hanging over the bed and the horror lift situation, oh. I would say, are you going to do that to me tonight? Because I just, I, you know, I'm not. Right. <laughs> but, you know, of course, it, it eventually it didn't happen exactly like that particular episode happened. But, uh, of course, it happened many times. But, yeah. I mean, um, and there was oh. days I was probably not a nice person. Let's be real. Sometimes me I too. just was, I was over it. I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. I was mad. He was mad. Yeah. He was embarrassed. We were, it was just. Some yeah. days you just, oh, yes. but, um, you know, and at the time when I think back, I don't necessarily remember it because I, you know, when I was in the middle of it, I'd always be like, I, I want to remember what this is like. So I had that empathy yeah. for people, you know, later, I honestly, it must be part of God's grace or something. I honestly can't totally remember it exactly as I, probably I call it divine, to. divine amnesia. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I actually, when I was doing my first episode of this um, podcast, well, it was episode two, but my first part, 
I actually read parts out of my book that dredged oh, up all kinds of memories and feelings that I had tucked away. Yes. And I actually had a pretty hard time after that, um, just redigesting some of that because mm. I haven't allowed myself to go backwards in time too much. If I have depressive thoughts, I'll allow it for a short period, but I've made the choice. Yeah shove it away and get out of the house or go do something. I, I changed channels pretty quickly. Yeah. And that's how I've continued. Um, I think that's a healthy coping mechanism though. I mean, you got to compartmentalize some things you just have to, otherwise you're going to just wallow and get stuck in that place. And Mm -hmm. um, if you don't have enough people around you at that moment in time that you need to help pull you up out of it, you have to do it on your own. And um that's what's dangerous and scary and hard and that's another reason I wanted to do these two-parters because I want someone to know we survived it and if we survived it you can survive it you just have to reach out find us find us in the groups find Mm -hmm. find something Mm -hmm. outside of your home to grasp hold of because you can you can not only survive it you can thrive and you can have a wonderful life afterwards even though in that first year or two it just feels like yeah. For those, yeah. it, it just feels like, will it ever be normal again? Well, yeah, but it's going to be a different normal it's, and you, you will not be the same true. person you were. Absolutely. And don't expect it. Don't expect mm-hmm. to be the same. I didn't know what to expect. And like I said, because I had that unique thing where I didn't really have, it didn't feel like either house was a home anymore. <laughs> Because I knew I was leaving both places. You were a nomad. <laughs> I was. And honestly, I think that was good. I think it was good for me because it helped me get over into the next place I needed to go and not just stay somewhere else and expect it to be the same. Exactly. I'm so glad you said that. And and I have suggested that to some other widows uh, that are in the same place. They're staring at his or her yeah. chair. Um, Rearrange steel. the furniture. Yeah, at least do, do that or, or maybe consider putting that chair in a room that you're not in often. Right, uh, right. I myself, because he did go to the nursing home um, and we had, like I said, we were financially devastated. Yeah. So I actually had a tiny little apartment not far from the nursing home. I went to work every day and then I'd go see him. But it was my place and he actually had never been in there. Okay. Um, and uh, then from there, I actually moved to the city I'm in now, which is near my sister. I knew my days with him were numbered. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to be where I had a support person People. nearby. Absolutely. That makes mom, so much sense. Yeah, because yeah, my mom lived in Daytona Beach at that time. And okay. I just wanted someone close. And so I actually moved here for that reason. So he's actually never been in this house. It's yours. It's mine. The furniture is mine. Mm -hmm. Um, I have some of his things, but they're like in a curio cabinet or I, everything around me is mine. And um, I think that's one reason I was able to pick up and keep going. Sure. Uh, so I think it's important to change your environment. And if you can't change your home and you can't change the furniture, change the room it's in, change the room you're in, do something so that your environment is, you're just not surrounded by that. Right. Right. You know, know, I I just think that's important. Yeah. One of my mom's, um, good friends from her church is a widower and he lost his wife to, um, uh, Alzheimer's, but, um, I haven't talked to him in a little while and I owe him a phone call actually, but 
I know he said for the longest time, as I was cleaning out my mom's house, he said, I still haven't been able to, you know, get, go through Loretta stuff. And yeah. so, um, I'm hopeful that, you know, little at a time, he, but he also kept working for a while after she passed away. So he didn't retire until just in the last couple of years here. So oh, that was probably um, good for him though, to keep working. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think for my being, mom. Yeah. yeah. Being, yeah. being, um, static or still yes. isolating yourself is not a good thing. Right. Um, and you do right. have to find yeah. ways to get away from even getting away from them from the memories for just a little bit. Right. So, and I told him that I said, so you don't go through it for a while. Eventually you may want to you know, sell the house, but as long as you're going to live there, nobody's setting a timeline on it for you, you know, or you put it all in one room and shut the door and it's exactly. okay. If you don't go through it, it's just, exactly. okay. I've learned to tell it's just, okay. You it, do absolutely. what you can yep. when you yep. can. Yep. And that's okay. Yeah. And if you need friends to come and help you pack stuff up later, you know, again, it's that being okay to reach out and ask for help. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest thing that I think that was probably it one is. of the hardest things. And then sometimes mom. actually finding the help. You know? And then, yeah, the good help. Yeah. yeah. I think if you have some good friends or family, people are willing, um, but they're not going to offer if they feel like they're intruding. Exactly. That's you true. You got to give them permission to intrude. <laughs> that is so true. So. Well, Kristen, we're going to wind down on this episode. I have yeah. so enjoyed having you. Uh, it's been good getting to know you. Yeah. And I'm very encouraged by the things that you've said. And I hope that our listeners will be too and realize that it's not always a sad, bad thing afterwards, that there's a way no. to carry on. There are lots of great things still coming. And um, yeah, just you have to find find that place that speaks to your heart and and then everything else hopefully falls in line. So Absolutely. And, if you, and if you really do need help, get get the help because people care too much about you to not get the help. 100% agree. Once again, thank you all for joining us for the life after that podcast. Join us again in two weeks on a Thursday for the next episode and another family to share their journey in ALS. Thank you again.